Ayo, we are back and we are doing better than fucking ever today. So, oh, my cheeks are coming nice. I got these jaw exerciser things you chew on. Um, it's not a jawser size, so miss me with that shit. They're like these little cubes. For those of you that are watching on YouTube, these little cubes, and they have different uh, amounts of pressure. There's three stages. You know, stage one's like 20 pounds. Stage two, 30 pounds of pressure. Stage four is 40 pounds, some shit like that. And uh, you you put them on your molars, and you just fucking chew, and you see your cheeks just fucking, the muscle just fucking <laughs> kind of just going going crazy. And then, like, after a while of doing it, you get, like, these, like, your cheeks, like, swell. Like, you have a sack, sack of gorgas in there or something. But then afterwards, you see your jawline starting to fucking f- come through. And you're like, damn, that's what it looks like to have a solid jawline? Like, I get it now. I get why chicks dig solid jawlines. I understand it. I'm like, damn, I look a lot better. I look a little younger. Your face doesn't look like it's sagging. Not that mine was, but I can see why it's, like, tightened up. But, yeah, I've been chewing on these fucking things. I do them like 20 minutes a day. I do them twice, 20 minutes each time. Do them on the way into work, way out of work. And then if I'm like sitting on the couch doing some shit, I'll do it again. But the shit burns. Like you think it's easy to chew? It's not that easy, especially when you're chewing something that's like giving you some resistance. Not a good thing. Hey, Brady boy. You're having a little trouble. He's got his puzzle and he can't figure it out. So he's got to come to me for a little help. But defeats the whole purpose of a puzzle. Anyway, um, heat one last night. Told you that would happen. I can see this heat in six, but we shall see. Um, all right. What are we talking about today, right? What are we here for? What's the haps? So for those, for those of you that don't know about my job, what I do is I'm like an office manager. I mean, I work in cybersecurity, IT, that whole career field, which is cyber, what it says. And uh, fix computers, fix the network. My office specifically is the network. So we keep it secure. You know, do shit like that. Not the most exciting thing in the world. A lot of of keyboard warrior shit going on. But being the one that's in charge of the office. So I have my supervisor and then she has hers. But I'm the first line of defense for everyone that's under us, which is like eight people. So I'm... I'm in charge of them as in I have to make sure that they're not getting too rowdy where they go if they have to leave early or if they have to do some shit they got to run it by me for the most part they're very independent I can trust them uh but there's things like oh I need to leave early they tell me I tell them okay they mark it in the calendar or if they're just getting rowdy I got to tell them to chill out or if the conversation goes off the rails I got to tell them to fucking tone it down you know remember where you are um and like i make the rules i let them leave early you know i play games and shit you know with them like i give them trivia questions if they get it wrong then they have to stay late shit like that i think i'm pretty good at it um it's new to me i've always been the lowest on the fucking in the ranking structure at my old job so i got a lot of shit under the stick on a lot of things because they always say shit rolls downhill and i was at the bottom of that fucking hill so now that i haven't been i'm not on the bottom of the hill i'm i'm more intermediary Right in the right in the the middle of the mountain, not the peak, not the fucking valley, but right in the center, you know, eye level. I don't get a lot of shit on my plate. I dole the shit out. 
Um, but it's been easy going. I've, I fucking love it. I think it's cool. Um, definitely a different perspective on definitely a, a teaching or learning experience for me on how to manage people and how to balance. Let's have a free for all because my, my instinct is like, yo, if they're not watching me, I'm not watching you. But then I'm like, I, it's my job is to, you know, keep them in check. So it's a delicate balance of let's fucking have a party because no one's here to, hey, let's get our work done and hopefully let's leave early. Shit like that. And then I got to crack the whip every now and then. Found out the phrase crack the whip is very problematic these days because it refers back to slavery, which we're not going to get into. Also problematic. So we're going to drop that word from our lexicon. But yeah, the, the word, the phrase crack the whip not to be used anymore but i have to i don't know even know what to say i have to i have to enforce the enforce the rules i gotta i gotta be the dickhead sometimes so what we're going through in the office now which is what brings me to this whole story this whole backstory is we have to send one of our um one of one of ours to go do a different job in a different office for like six months to a year is what the time frame is. It's not like they're gone forever and we're banishing them. They're still going to be on base. They're going to be like a few buildings down. They're just going to report to somewhere else for about six six months to a year, you know? But it's my I'm part of the process of picking this person. I have to give my input. Ultimately, it comes down to all three of us agreeing. But, you know, they're like, what do you think? Like, what's good for, like, office chemistry? And who do you think would not embarrass us if they went over there? Shit like that. So I get my input in, and for me, I always pick the person. Whenever it's a job that I know they can do, I know everyone can do, I always pick the person that I feel is, I wouldn't say the most inept, I wouldn't say the worst person in the world, but I I don't pick the best to do certain things, especially if I know it's a job that it's probably not going to really matter that much, Um, and it it has the potential to help them out a lot. So it's usually the kid that's kind of like a fuck-up. And here's where I got in trouble. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So my the whole philosophy is I always pick the one that's either struggling or doesn't seem to be living up to their potential. They either talk a big game or they're like, oh, I'm bored. I work all the time. I wish I had more work. That type of dude. I'm not going to pick the one that's raised their hand first because, A, we know you're good at your job. And we understand that you want more responsibility. But we're going to give it to you in the way... That benefits us too. So it makes my life easier. I'm not going to send you away to go work hard for somebody else. I'm going to keep, you got to keep your good employees. But the way to make somebody better in my experience is to push them a little bit, put them in a scenario that they're not comfortable with, push their boundaries, force them into stress, and then let them figure it out. They either sink or they fucking swim. You know, so that's the way I handle things. Some people don't like that. Whatever. It's the way I was fucking taught and it's worked for me. And it it's good because conflict usually leads to a solid solution and you air things out. It helps if everyone's just saying yes all the time, it's not it's not that it's not fun, but things can go sour pretty quick. So we decide, and I was the final say because my two supervisors are leaving in like a month forever. So it's gonna come down on my head if it goes sour. So I say pick this one kid, he's not the best. It's not that I don't like him. It's that I see that he has this potential and he's wasting it here. He would be better off with a new leadership for six months that might be 
it might be the worst experience of his life or it might be the best one, but either way, it's going to be an experience and he's going to come back and either appreciate us more or want to do something bigger in the future. Can't hurt, you know, and his job is not, it's easily replaceable. We can fit someone in there that can do their job, you know? So during this whole discussion, we're joking around, right? Like, oh, I'm sending you, I'm sending you, like we're fooling around with each other. I'm like, and I said, instead of explaining it like I just did, I said, oh yeah, I usually just send the fuck up if it were up to me. And that was like the exact phrase. Like I remember saying it, like I'm not saying I never said it. Like I remember saying, oh yeah, I'll send the fuck up. That's usually the best option. And that was it. I didn't elaborate, but one other kid heard it. That's kind of quiet. He's off to the side. For some reason, he got fucking self-conscious and was thinking I was talking about him. He's also probably the best, one of the better workers in the office. I would not want to send him because A, it's going to, my job's going to get harder. B, again, I don't want them showing off for somebody else. I want them to do my, do the hard work for us. So he gets like self-conscious. So this was like before lunch, I was saying this. So this lasted the entire day. It's four o'clock. And one of the things I do is that we play trivia. I initiate a trivia game. And at the end of it, if they get a certain amount of questions, right, they get to leave early. Usually, I let them leave early either way, but they don't know that yet. They've usually gotten these questions for the most part right. But he's being quiet. He's kind of being weird. But I think he, I, I figured he was working. So we end up leaving, and my supervisor calls that kid back to the office, starts talking to him, whatever. We leave. I get a phone call from her. And she's like, hey, just so you know, this person um, was not happy with what you said about picking a person to go to this um to go to this other office for six months the way what you said and i was like what did i say that was like first of all they don't know that we, who we're gonna pick yet and i didn't say anything like that tipped my hand so what's the problem and it's not him so what's the fucking issue she was like well when you were explaining your process you said you want to pick the fuck up and that that he automatically thought it was him that you were speaking about so i'm like well i clearly wasn't and you know who i was talking about and we were like joking around he goes, yeah, he didn't really take it like that. And then he realized it wasn't him you were talking about. It was his friend, the one that we're going to pick. And now he's upset for his friend because you he thinks that you think he's a fuck up. And I'm like, well, in my head, I'm like, well, let's be honest. He is kind of a fucking idiot. I was like, but you understand the thought process of me picking him. Like, I shouldn't have said that out loud, but it's not that bad. And I explained to you, she goes, yeah, she's like, I get it. But I'm just letting you know, like, he thinks that you're kind of an asshole. Two things can happen in the situation. A, which is what I'm probably going to do, is I'll feel bad and then explain to everybody the thought process to the whole thing. Be transparent. Let them know, okay, this is my thought process behind the whole why I picked this person. Here's what I like. Here's the potential I see. And it has nothing to do with him being obnoxious. Or I can go the hard ass route and be like, it's my decision. Fucking deal with it. I'll sit down and shut the fuck up. Could do that. Probably not going to do option B, although I want to do option B. But that's what I was thinking in my head. And I was like, why is this person even complaining? It's not even them getting picked. And I understand you want to stick up for your friend. But, hey, we're in the fucking military, all right? Some things are going to get said. Some things you're going to see. Shit's going to happen. And you got to fucking roll with it. But I get where they're coming from. They're little sensitive types. I get it. So that's like the dilemma I'm with at work. So tomorrow morning, I have to go in and explain to these guys the decision why I made it, and pretty much convince them, like, I'm not an asshole. I'm just doing my job. And now we have to move on. 
you know, like that's it basically. Like there's nothing, that's it. So I was not a fan. What bothered me so much was that I'm not a fan of this kid. Just, he could have said something right in the moment. Like, and I always tell them that too. I get it. I'm, I'm higher ranking than he is. But I always tell them, like, you can argue, like, we argue all day long. That's all my office does is they argue about is if the sky is fucking blue or not. But I'm like, he could have spoke up at any point and been like, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. And I would have been like, oh, yeah, you're right. But at the same time, we were all joking around. And I said it in a joking manner. Like, he's like, well, who would you pick? Who would you pick? And I was like, I'd pick the fucking dumbest person in the office. I'd pick the fuck up. Like that. It wasn't like I was like, you know who I'm going to pick? I'm going to pick the fuck up in this office. And then, like, looked right at him. Like, I didn't do anything weird like that. We were all joking around. But I get it. People are sensitive these days. Very upset about stupid shit. So, that's where we're at. That's my first, actually, um, office complaint I've had since I've been kind of in charge. Um, My first complaint ever, really, because it's my first time in charge of something. So, I wasn't a fan of it. I understand, like, it's a process, and I'm going to eventually do something stupid. So, this isn't even the worst thing I could have done. This is very, like, minor but I get it now because now I'm thinking in my head like I have to balance what they expect of me and what, I, what I'm what i expected of. And there's going to be times where I'm the bad guy and like they might not like me for like a week. Like, hey, I got rid of one of their friends. They're going to be like, oh, you sent this kid off. Like, They're going to look at me like I'm the fucking bad guy. Like, I'm just doing my job. When they rank up and they're in this position, they're going to probably feel the same way. They might not say it. They probably will think it. And it's just like a tough decision. Like we have to send a name up and here's my thought process behind it. You know, it's it's not that hard, but um, yeah, it's just been kind of like weighing ever since I got that phone call, like this kid complained. I'm like, man, like I really got to watch that. Like they say some crazy shit in this office. They were talking about like super calm the other day. The one the kid that we're sending was talking about how his family has super sperm and he went to the doctor and the doctor confirmed it, which is definitely a fucking lie. But stop the cow. But he fucking. I think he has potential. I think he's just been in the same position for three years and he's 21 years old and he thinks he knows everything about the entire world. My God, if you know everything, you know how to treat people, then go out there and show us then. It's either going to make you or break you. And if you have a bad experience, that sucks. If you have a good experience, I'm sorry you have to come back in six months. But either way, it's going to be an experience and he can learn from it. Even bad experience, I think it was Loki that said, I count experience as experience. Hopefully this fucking little brat decides to fucking man up, put his fucking money where his mouth is, and fucking walk the walk for once. Jesus. So it is Friday, the 19th of May, and uh, your boy got a little fucking drunk today at work. We were technically off because it was an air show, but uh, this thing started around 10 a.m. And I was under the impression we weren't allowed to drink. So I was ill-prepared to start drinking at 10 a.m. But, you know, we got after it. I had about nine Trulies before one o'clock, actually by about two. And then I had to call it quits because I have a dog and a life and I got to talk to you people, so... I was like, um, it's way too early to go to the bar, and if I eat something, I'm going to want to take a nap, but I have to go grocery shopping, and I have to walk the dog, and whatever, so I was like, I'll just stop drinking. 
Which wasn't the worst idea in the world. It's better that I stopped because your boy likes to put it on, likes to tie one on, as they say. But I've been drinking my Gatorade Zero, my prime energy drinks, and I ate a bunch. So we're here. Uh, we're going to try and do something new here again. Just add to the list of things we've tried that are new. So we got the top five lists. Um, and that's the only thing we've added other than staying consistent and providing some humor along the way. But I think every Friday what we're going to do is review either a movie or a TV series that I watched during the week. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's going to be like, oh, the most popular show out. Like, I'm not going to review Succession. I mean, I could, I guess. But um, I usually like to watch a movie a week. It could be more. But again, I have to record my stream. And I'm taking a fucking penetration testing class. Uh, so... Just a lot on my plate, you know? There really is. But, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all about the input, you know? Give me all the fucking... Give me all the knowledge you can. Let me soak it all in. Uh, so, anyway. I uh, started getting a little... Got a little fucked up earlier in the day. Now I'm kind of hungover a little bit. But we are here and we're going to be talking about the the TV miniseries Waco... Um, that was released in 2018. I think it was on Prime at first, and now it's on Stars or Showtime. But we're going to get into that. But first, to give a little update on the whole, if you listened to yesterday's, actually, if you listened to earlier in this podcast, because I didn't even release yesterday's yet, I'm going to probably tie it all into this one. So earlier in the podcast, I was saying that I had to deal with some office bullshit with the kid complaining and we have to send somebody away, um, but we'll get that. We'll get into that after I do the the Waco uh, Friday thing. But back to my original point. Oh yeah, drinking at the air show. So the Air Force does these air shows. It's like a traveling circus. Um, I mean, it's a little more in depth than that. It's actually a whole production. They have like it's like a carnival, but with airplanes. So they have pretty much every aircraft in the Air Force. Um, they do like flips and tricks and it gets wild. It's like a seven, eight hour event. Like it's a long day. Um, it's this weekend. However, with the rain and stuff, it might be canceled. Uh, but today, the Friday before it, which is today, they do military only. So you can bring your family or you show up by yourself if you're in the military to come to it. And I mean, it's fun. Like there's booths set up. There's the Marines. They have something going on, the Coast Guard. Um, it's like a whole festival, I guess. There's a DJ. There's drinking, obviously. There's a shitload of food. And you're just watching aircraft just flying around. So it's pretty wild. Um, it's loud. It's on the flight line. So it's, I mean, you can see everything. You see the entire sky. But it's a good time. I've been to one, I went to one last year in South Carolina at my old base. And it's a free-for-all. Like, it's... It's just it's a fun thing to do, especially if you're into planes. Like they do like low level flybys and they, you know, break the sound barrier and shit like that. So it's exciting. It's something to do. And yeah, I got a little fucking drunk. And uh once I realized the time and I was like, I gotta go grocery shopping, man. I really wanna There was two uh, there's two avenues, and this happens a lot with day drinking. I've talked about this with my friends before. Um there's two avenues you hit when you're day drinking. There's a point where you have to make a decision. 
you either stop and you deal with the consequences like I am. You have to hydrate, got to eat, and then your day is kind of be a little sluggish from then on, but you won't really be hung over the next day. Or you're like, I got to put my foot down, pedal to the metal, and we just got to keep going. We got to push through. Because if you half-ass it, you can't be in the middle. Because if you half-ass it, you're not going to enjoy yourself. Like It's just not going to be fun. If you're like, well, I'll stop, and then I'll start, and then I'll go home real quick to change, and then it's a whole thing. You can't do it. Too much can happen in there. You'll feel you'll get, you're getting dehydrated. You're probably going to lose your buzz, and you'll end up trying to catch it, and then you won't want to anymore. So that's when you have to make the two, just choose a path. Do you want to stop drinking and hydrate to get the alcohol out of your system, or do you want to drop it into fifth gear, put your foot down, and hammer it? and keep going. The only thing that stopped me from doing the hammer it and keep going was that the people I I was with, they had families and two of them, for some reason, they're 22 years old and they don't want to drink. There's, I don't drink. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to force it down your throat. So they, oh, we're going to go home. And I was like, all right, well, I have no one to hang out with now. And my friends like, oh, come hang out with me and my family. And I'm like, sounds cool and all, but I'm, I'm going to be operating at a different pace than hang, than that. So, I think I did the responsible thing, went grocery shopping, called it quits, started pounding Gatorade Zero and Prime back and all that stuff. Um, So now we're here and we will get into it. The, like I said, the show Waco came out in 2018. I thought it was a really good series. There's some, the dude that played David Koresh, uh, Taylor Kitsch, who's been in, um, he was in True Detective Season 2. He's the quarterback in Friday Night Lights, I think. I've never seen that show, but I'm pretty sure he is. He's not the best actor in the world. He's kind of kind of just a pretty boy. Um, he's all eyes and teeth. But I think in this, in this show, he did a really good job. So if anyone doesn't know what Waco is or if it's before your time, it's one of those things I heard growing up because it happened in 1992? 1993. Um and I remember hearing about it on like in like the news, but I would think I was like five or six at the time when it was when it was going on. Yeah, I was five, so like I don't really remember it that much. But I remember hearing about it. But if for those of you that don't know, it was Waco is out in Texas, um, and where this took place was on a compound where these a sect of this religious group called the Branch Davidians where they lived in kind of like their own little community. It was one big-ass house that they built, and they all lived there, and they just lived off the land, you know, and they, the women just had babies and cleaned all the clothes and did all the cleaning when the men went out, worked the fields, shit like that, and that was that's pretty much how they lived their life. The only reason they really got on the radar of the ATF and eventually the FBI was... Because this guy, David Koresh, who was the cult leader, decided that he was the only one that can have sex with the women. So if you joined and you had a wife, you had to give your wife up to David. And David was the only one that can have sex with them to impregnate them to spread more Branch Davidians. It's kind of wild because I watched I watched the show and then I watched the documentary about it. And people actually bought into it. Like, there's still Branch Davidians alive from when this happened. And they're like, yeah, you bought into it. Like, you believe that this guy was a prophet and all this stuff. And he can work miracles. I don't understand that at all. 
Um, I guess if you're kind of an idiot, or I wouldn't say an idiot, that's kind of demeaning, but if you're someone that doesn't understand that you're being indoctrinated into a cult, I can see buying into it. It's like the whole, if no one ever told you the earth was round, you would just think it's flat kind of thing. Like, you don't know any better. You just think this guy is a miracle worker, and then you're groomed into it from when you were a kid, and you think this is the only way to live and all this stuff. And meanwhile, they're telling you, David Koresh and you know the higher-ups are telling you, like, everything out there is bad. Don't listen to anything you hear out in the real world. This is the right way to live. So it gets positive, positively reinforced around you, and then you just think it's normal. But this dude decided to start sleeping with children that were like 12, 13, 14, and that started getting on the government radar because you can't obviously do that. Even if it's part of your religion, you still can't be fucking sleeping with children, especially in Texas, and you definitely can't be saying that you're a man of God when you do it. So that was one thing that got him on the radar. The second thing was that they were trafficking guns. But anyone that knows anything about Texas, moving guns, selling guns, purchasing lots of guns is like a normal thing. I don't live in Texas, but from my understanding, that's like a normal thing that happens. So you can't be like, oh, well, they shouldn't have been doing that. Like that's a normal part of life. But they were modifying weapons to make them semi-automatic to automatic uh, they were selling silencers, which are illegal to sell or purchase or even have, I think. So, again, that got on the ATF's radar. So, the ATF is like, we have to take this guy down. And the ATF just fucked around at Ruby Ridge, which is a whole other thing, and shot a civilian. And they shot an innocent bystander, and they died. So, the ATF was trying to make up for lost time and decided, let's go take out this David Koresh guy. You know, they can get the guns. They can stop a pedophile. And we can make a name for ourselves. And they do a pretty good job in the show of portraying the ATF trying to be blowhards. They do a pretty good job of them being inept and being like, we have to do it. We're the best ever. This is going to be easy and whatever. Um, so in the show, the first episode is called episode one. And these episodes are like 45 minutes long to an hour long. It's a really good show. Visions and Omens. It introduces David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, his right-hand man, Gary Nessner. Oh, no, Gary Nessner is the, played by Michael Shannon, is the FBI negotiator. And it pretty much just shows life around the compound, how they live. And then it shows the ATF and what their job is and what they're doing. Shows the FBI, like, what they're doing. Kind of everyone's separate at this point. They're not really interacting at all. Um, And that's pretty much it. David Koresh, he's a, um, he was a musician. He was like in a band. So they traveled around to like bars and stuff. And that's kind of how they recruited people to come become a Branch Davidian was at these events. And in the show, they recruit a new person, David Thibodeau, who's still alive. And he does interviews and stuff. And he's kind of this chubby dude. That's kind of weird. He's as weird as you think someone that was in a cult would be. Um, And in the first episode, he recruits David. He talks to him, gives him like, hey, you know, I have the answer for you. And and it's God and all this stuff. So recruits him to come stay the night. David Thibodeau shows up. And that's pretty much the episode. I mean, it's not anything in depth um, going on there. It's just you're getting to know the characters. You're getting to know what a Branch Davidian is, where it is. You get to see the ATF, what they do. And you're getting to see see some of the main characters uh michael shannon plays gary nestner who's the lead negotiator for the fbi he's like the good guy in this whole thing 
um, who the fuck was the dude that played? And then the the other FBI agent. So Michael Shannon, Gary Nestor, that character is the good part of the FBI. He's the negotiator. He's like the we're going to solve this by talking, and he's deconflicting. His whole thing is whole. His whole his whole persona, the whole pretty much the whole series is deconfliction. We can talk this out. The other end of the FBI is the tactical team, and the leader of that is played by Shea Wiggum, who was Eli in Boardwalk Empire. Um, you'll see him if you ever if you see him, you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. But he plays um, Sheriff Thompson, which is Steve Buscemi's brother in the show. He's like the bad FBI agent. He's the one that's like, no, we have to go in there shooting. We're going to shoot everybody. Let's just shoot, shoot, shoot. Like he's ready to go. He's gung ho about this whole thing. So you can tell right away in the first episode that there's conflicting. What's the word I want to use? There's conflicting um, incentives for both of them. One wants to prove that their negotiating can work. And the other one wants to prove that guns are the only way to answer things. Um, And then at the end of episode one, you see an ATF agent. Uh, played by John Leguizamo, the pest. He moves in across the street from the Branch Davidians, and David Koresh knows right away that this dude's definitely with the feds, but has no idea why or who or what what he's doing there. But they meet, and that's the end of the episode. It's David walking away and being like, that dude is not a rancher. He's definitely somebody else. But he's not really worried about it because he's like, I'm not really doing anything wrong, and it's the freedom of religion, and like, come take my guns type of shit. So... Episode two comes into play, and it starts off with the ATF agents surveilling across the street from the Branch Davidian compound, and this compound is huge. Like, it's a whole fucking, it's a massive piece of property in the middle of, in uh, Waco, Texas. So Johnny Liguizamo... His character and his team of ATF agents are across the street and they're attempting to like make friends. So he goes over there a lot, just getting to know David Koresh and these people. And he starts kind of becoming friends with them and understanding like, hey, they're just peaceful guys. Like, yeah, they're breaking some laws, but like they're not the worst people in the world. You know, like, yeah, he's sleeping with children, which isn't okay, obviously, but he's not like a pred, like a sex predator, you know, like it's hard to explain. It's one of these situations where it's going to be problematic to say the wrong thing but he realizes he's not he's not an evil person his intent isn't to be like this evil dude and take over the world he's just has this religion and according to his religion he can sleep with underage girls so anyway johnny liguizamo is going in and out of the compound a lot making friends doing this whole thing um so after i'd say 30 minutes into the episode david koresh kind of realizes that this dude, Johnny Liguizamo, is an ATF agent and was kind of just confronts him straight up. He was like, come into this room. First, he invites him to a wedding and all this stuff. And then he calls him to a, this room with his other two leaders of this cult and his wife and is like, who the hell are you? We know who you are. What are you surveilling us for? And he's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm nobody. You know, I'm a rancher. And he's like, you're not a fucking rancher. You're carrying a gun that's police issued. Like, we get it. And it kind of just, it doesn't really take off from there. You think it's going to be like, oh, we're going to shoot this guy. But again, David Crush isn't like this evil dude. He's just like, all right, well, get the fuck out of my house then. And 
you're missing the point. We're not bad people. And at this point, Johnny Leguizamo's character is like, they're not bad people, but I got to do my job. And now they know we're watching them. So we probably should leave because they know we're here. Um, and then it's going back and forth to the FBI negotiator, Michael Shannon's character, Gary. He's dealing with the Ruby Ridge incident, like I said earlier, with the hostage negotiator or with the, the tactical team, Shea Wiggum's that shot the fucking innocent person. So he's not really involved yet in Waco, but they're starting to show more of him. And the episode pretty much ends with it's these episodes are long, but they're pretty much the same shit over and over again. Like up until the invasion, Thibodeau is David Thibodeau. The dude I mentioned earlier, he's kind of just wandering around getting to know his place in the whole French Davidian world. And he's getting to understand it, all this and that. And then the episode ends, but episode three starts, and this is when the heat comes on. So it pretty much starts out. David Koresh knows that Johnny Luzamo is a ATF agent and is like, what the fuck? Johnny Luzamo is like, look, I'll call him off. Like, I, you know, like they're coming, but I'll call him off. So he goes out to call him off, telling him, he's telling him, like, they know we're coming. Like, it's not a surprise anymore. They know we're, we're coming. And they're just going to get their guns ready. They have guns and shit. His bosses don't listen to him. Surprisingly enough, tell me about it. And decide to keep going with it. Even though they know they're walking into an ambush. They're like, nah, dude, these are fucking church weirdos. Like, what are they going to do? You know, we're the ATF. We're government agents. We can do whatever we want. They roll up on the house. Helicopters. Trucks. The whole thing. And it's a firefight. And I've... In the show, they show it. It's pretty quick in the show. It's long but for a show, but it kind of skips a few hours in there. But in real life, this went on for a good like 12 hours out of the day. They were just shooting nonstop back and forth. And then the ATF realized, like, we're not winning this fight. Like, these dudes are hunkered down. They're shooting us. They're killing some of our agents. We're not killing any of them because they have the high ground. They're shooting out of the windows and then hiding. We need to back up. So they pull out, and now it's the rest of the show is this whole standoff. It's a 51-day siege, and this is the show from here on, is one side versus the other. The Branch Davidians are in the house, and the FBI, or first the ATF is outside waiting, and this is when the FBI gets involved. This is when Gary Nessner, Michael Shannon's character, gets involved, because you can't kill federal agents. That's a, that's actually a rule in real life. And when you do, the FBI investigates it. So now the FBI is like, now we have to step in because there's federal agents that just died. So we'll handle it. And the FBI has way more. Um, the FBI has more. Um, man, I, I think I'm still a little drunk. Um, they have more power than the ATF. They have more money than the ATF. They have more resources. That's the word I'm going for. They have more resources than the ATF. So. They show up and they're setting up a camp. They got everything going. They're ready to go. They have agents all over the place. They have a tactical team watching. They secure the backyard, secure the front yard. They pretty much just isolated these people, but they want to be isolated. Like that's the whole, it's like they want to be left alone. Just leave them alone, you know, kind of thing. So now it turns into this, this just this standoff. And it starts with, it starts off slow. Like, all right, we're going to negotiate. They get David on the phone. David's going back and forth. But David's been shot. He got shot. I didn't mention that earlier. During this whole be- beginning siege, 
he gets clipped right in the stomach by an ATF agent, and he's not dying, but he's also not doing too well. So he's calling the sheriff. He's calling out to the negotiator like, yo, can you just leave us alone? Like, we didn't do anything. And it goes back and forth, and it pretty much is like, give up and we'll leave you alone. And he's like, I'm not giving up. You're on my property. I can shoot you if you're on my property. No, you no, you can't. Yes, you can. Yada, yada, yada. So that goes on and on and on. Episode four is when they decide to start getting a little more tactical. Because Shea Wiggum, Mitch Decker, I guess, the FBI agent that's in charge of the tactical team, is like, we're giving these guys too much of a fucking leash. We need to get the fuck in there. We're going to start blowing shit up. Well, Nessner is like, no, we need to talk it out. I'm a negotiator. I can talk anyone out of anything. We should never shoot this and that. So they start going more aggressively. But the whole breakdown in this whole thing was that one side of the FBI wasn't talking to the other side of the FBI. So every time Gary made a little progress with David, the tactical team did something wild, like blast music in the middle of the night, turn the music, turn the power off. Um Shit like that, or they like destroyed something on the property, and then Dave would be like, "Well, you just destroyed something when you said you wouldn't." And then negotiators are fighting with the tactical team; they go back and forth. It just became like complicated because this is one of the first thing, like first times this has ever happened. So, like, no one really knew the best way to handle it, other than I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. So, episode four is when they you can see the dichotomy of the fbi like there's one team that wants to just go gung-ho and the other side wants to be negotiating and you can tell that that's going to be a conflict for the rest of the show so it's mostly negotiating going back and forth what can we do what can what do you want from us we're not going to leave david um says if you release this message that i'm going to read to the news i'll come out and he releases they agree they're like all right we got it they were they ended up he ends up recording himself talking. Meanwhile, he's got blood all over him. He sends out this message to the news and the news in, in typical news fashion airs it and then starts making fun of it and is like, this guy's a kook. He sees the news and he's like, well, fuck it. I'm not coming out now. Like, no one believes in what I'm doing. Then fuck it. I'll just stay in here. So that's when the negotiation gets reset. Episode five kicks off and now they're doing... The full-on aggressive approach. They're blasting music in the middle of the night. This is the kind of shit... I think it's illegal to do this, but... Like, on... It's illegal for the FBI to do it. In, like, war, I think you can do it. Where you just... You just blast music. You make crazy sounds with speakers to keep them up the entire night. It's just psychological warfare at that point. And the goal is to make them so uncomfortable that they have to come out. Because they're like, fucking, this sucks, man. Just turn the music off. I'll do anything you want type of thing. And they turn the lights, big, ass, bright floodlights and spotlights on the house in the night so they never get any sleep. It just drives them crazy, basically, is the whole goal of it. And then you want them to get aggressive so you have justification to shoot them. So that's episode five is, if episode four was the negotiating part, episode five is the opposite of that. We're going to we're going to try to shoot these people as they come out. So there's conflicting reports on how this all happened. But um, the reason the tactical team started getting more aggressive was because they said that the Branch Davidians were pointing guns at them from the window. And that they're just protecting themselves. But 
pretty much at this point, Gary, the negotiator, is like he's pushed out of the circle of the FBI. Like they was like, we're not negotiating anymore. We're going in hard. We're gonna fucking take him out. There's nothing you can do about it. Nice try, but we're gonna go guns blazing. So this is like day like 45 of this shit going on. Like they were, they've been blasting music for like 30 straight days. And like it's chaotic. Like you hear it in the show and you're like, God damn, man, that's gotta be killing frustrating for them. So episode six, which is the finale of it, is Day 51 is the name of the episode. And this is the final the final push for getting these people out. And they're they're gonna assault the place. Now this the footage you see in real life is crazy. The footage in the uh, the in the in the show, the way it's recreated, it's almost spot on what they did. So the they wake up that morning, day fifty one, and the FBI gets the green light to move in with tanks and shit, and that's what they do. They their plan was to hook up tear gas to the front of a tank, have the tank run roll into the building, light off the tear gas, and that'll force everybody out. So these people are like rats. That's the way I compared them. They're just rats. Like they they're not gonna leave. They'll do anything to stay in this house. So they see this tank coming, the tank runs into the house, and now it's just chaotic. This place is filling up with smoke, so they send all the women and children down into the they call it the safe, but it's like the it's like the kitchen. It's like the freezer in the kitchen. The fridge in the kitchen, which is mostly airtight. So they send all the women and children in there, and this tank is just <laughs> backing up, going forward, dropping smoke, backing up, going forward, dropping smoke, and now troops are moving in, shooting smoke. And the whole theory was if they put fill up enough smoke, then these people are going to have to come out. It didn't happen that way. <laughs> so um, the place fills up with smoke and tear gas after a certain amount of time. And all it takes is a little bit of a spark, becomes flammable. And sure enough, there's a fire that starts and the entire compound is on fire. Because this isn't like fireproofed. Again, this is like 90s before a lot of this fireproofing and, you know... And it's Texas where there's no regulations at all. And they built this house by themselves. So there's no fireproofing. This thing's like a fucking tinderbox. So it goes right up in flames. Plus the tear gas is just fueling it. So this place goes up in flames. And there's a lot of like, you know, un, unreasonable camera scenes with dudes just running around and flames and stuff. But uh, what made it worse was that the women and children are stuck in the fucking <laughs> or stuck now. With smoke getting pushed in because there's now there's tear gas and there's real smoke coming into this walk-in freezer where they're laying in thinking they're safe. So they get smoked out and then obviously engulfed in flames. And then other women and children tried getting out of the storm shelter. But because the tanks rolled around and stuff, the door got jammed with dirt. So they couldn't get out because of that. So Shea Wiggum... The tough guy, tactical guy, is running around the building like, get these fucking people. Now he's like freaking out because he's killing innocent people. And he's trying to get these people out and he can't get them out because they're all jammed and stuck inside. So um, so all in all, um, not a whole lot of people got out of this thing. So in total, it's 76 people died, including David Koresh, who went down in flames. In the show, they show him like, walking through the fire he's sitting there and then his friend shoots him and then he shoots himself or vice versa but 
Um, yeah, they don't survive. And it was 76 people died. And it was, I think it was like 30 children, some shit like that, some crazy high number. Yeah, it was like 30 children, 22 children died. And um, I mean, 20 agents, ATF agents got injured. I don't know how many of those died, but people died on both sides. But these guys, the, the Branch Davidians were just stuck inside and they're just on fire. And now you're dead. So, yeah, they... It's very it's controversial for a number of reasons. Um, re- freedom of religion, constitutional right is one of them, and that's what they kind of go back and forth on in the show a lot. And like most documentaries that I've seen after the fact, have said like, is it freedom of religion that got infringed on, or is can you even have a religion that breaks laws and umbrella that into it's my religion kind of thing? Pretty sure the Supreme Court has gone both sides of that, or at least courts have been on both sides of that. Like, yeah, you can do certain things under the banner of freedom freedom of religion, but not everything. So there's that, like, wh- whichever side you fall on of that, but sleeping with kids is mainly going to get you fucking jammed up every time. So definitely don't sleep with children. Um, and then it was like, did the FBI just go way too far during this whole thing? Like, the ATF... I get it. They're doing their job. They probably went way too far off the rip with like 100 agents or some shit to take out um, to serve a subpoena, basically, is what they were doing. Probably a better way to do that. But then the FBI comes in and they got tanks, they got helicopters, they're doing the psychological warfare, and they end up killing 76 people inside. And it's like, did the government just overstep its boundary by like a lot? Like, we don't sign up for that as Americans, I don't think. Like, that's why they have. Um, I think it's the third amendment, some shit like that. So there's an amendment in there somewhere that says you can't, like, you can't use the army or the military on American soil. I'm in the military. I should know that. But, (laughs) um, the FBI was using tanks and helicopters and it's like, they might as well be a military at that point. So there's that whole thing. And it's like, if you would have just left them alone, their whole thing was like, they just want to be left alone. You know, like, they didn't... Yeah, they broke some laws, but, I mean, everyone breaks laws. You know, shout out to all the lawbreakers out here. Um, but their whole thing the entire time was like, if you if you just leave, we're going to be fine. You know, like, we're not going to bother anybody. And the FBI is like, no, we can't really leave now because it's going to make us look bad. So now we have to stay. And now you're going to get the full the full throttle of the FBI because it makes everyone look bad. Like the president was getting involved. Everyone was getting involved. So it just became too big and the FBI doesn't look like a bunch of pussies because other people are going to be like, well, if the FBI is backing down, we just got to wait them out. So that's the other whole thing of it is should they have just backed off and been like, all right, well, we're going to arrest you when we see you in public. So we'll just wait till you're on your own going to one of your shows Instead, they decided, hey, let's just burn the entire place down and deal with it from there. So that pretty much wraps up the show. They get into, they show like David Thibodeau again because he's played by one of the Culkin brothers. I think it was Rory Culkin. No, that's Succession. It's not Macaulay. There's another one. There's like eight Culkins. I don't know if anyone ever knew that. Shout out to the fun facts. But, um, Shout out to for the producers for giving me that fun fact. It is Rory Culkin. So yeah, it has the has the chick from uh Man, I gotta stop drinking during the day. Um 
Missouri. Um, what the hell is that stupid show? Ozark. She's in it, the blonde one. Um, she plays like the love interest of Thibodeau, of Rory Culkin. <coughs> they end up getting married, but they can't sleep together because David's sleeping with her, and she's like 16 in the show. Um, but yeah, they go into like little things like that. But for the most part, Waco just... It's a really good show. I mean, I recommend watching it. It's, I'd say it's about six hours, an hour each episode. But they do a pretty good job of showing both sides and explaining it. And then it's not really a bias at all. Because there's, I think there's two other documentaries. And one is like heavy, the FBI fucked up. And the other one is like heavy, the FBI was right kind of thing. But it does kind of shed a light when, and not to get on the political side of things, but... When you hear like these Second Amendment guys like, oh, well, come take my guns. And it's like, yeah, if they wanted to, they would. You know, they can. There's nothing really stopping them from doing it. So like, should they have that power? That's a, that's a different discussion. But if they really wanted to come get your guns, they would have done it already. And they'll do it with ease. So that's where it like kind of relates to today. And that's why I think it's getting more popularity because every time there's a mass shooting, which is at this point, like every third day, it always gets brought up like, oh, we need more guns to protect ourselves and whatever. But that's one another like argument people are making is like, well, if these assholes didn't have guns, then they wouldn't have to get their entire property burned down. But just because you own a gun doesn't mean you should get your property burned down. So, yeah, it kind of goes into all that, which is kind of cool. I think it's I think it was a really good show. Um I recommend it. It's on. It is on Stars or Showtime. They usually come in a bundle. Showtime, and there is season two coming out, which is kind of wild. They have a season two, but that goes into the Oklahoma City bomber, which we can cover another day. You know what? I'm going to order Showtime. I'm going to order the show now, and then next Friday we'll go over the season two of Waco. But Michael Shannon is in it. I'm pretty sure Shea Wiggum is in it. Um, both of those guys were actually in Boardwalk Empire. And Michael Shannon plays the similar character, like the straight edge police guy. And Shea Wiggum plays his pretty much same character, the dirty sheriff. But in this one, he's the gung-ho FBI agent. So, so yeah, definitely go out and check it out. It's on, like I said, it's on Showtime and season two is out. But switching gears, we're going to get into the um, Sounder, um, the office debacle. That I talked about earlier. So, um, now that you know the backstory about yesterday, today was the day we needed to pick somebody, and turns out we are picking a different person for, I guess, multiple reasons. I don't really know. They were like, we're going to pick somebody else. Are you cool with that? I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit anymore. Um, one of those things, like, you ask for my opinion, I give it, I give you a backstory, I, I say I'm going to stand to it, and I'll, I'll own it if it goes south. And then they're like, no, we're not gonna do some, we're gonna do somebody else now. So it was a whole lot of nothing for nothing. And now the one kid still doesn't like me because he thinks I'm an asshole and he still sticks by his complaint. So that's always fun. But yeah, it was a whole lot of uh not a whole lot. It was a lot to do for nothing, I guess. But anyway. What was good though, and I kind of understood it, was when we told them, hey, it's not gonna be any of you guys, it's gonna be somebody else. They were just like, okay. And like they were kind of like relieved, but I think they understood that. And I'm going to reiterate this on Monday to them when I have a little meeting with them after our staff meeting. 
like yeah it sucks when shit like that happens and it's never fun but end of the day we're in the fucking military like they can i can be a dick and tell you to do something or i can explain it to you and explain the reasoning and you're still gonna have to do it either way so i learned at a I learned almost right away. I mean, I learned in life, I guess, too, before joining the military that sometimes you just need you need to take the L and move along. But in the in the military, it's one of those things that you got to learn pretty quick because it's going to keep happening to you. Like, there's going to be days where you have to stay late. You're going to call it in your day off. You're going to be dealing with shit <coughs> that you don't want to deal with, and it's better to just take the L and move along because. In order to get, if something comes down, right? So here's how an order works, right? Or a directive, I guess we call them sometimes now. Um, so let's say not my direct boss, but the boss over her makes a new rule, right? It says everybody has to come in at 6.30 from now on. My boss, my immediate supervisor would say, that's a pretty shitty thing to do. Do I need to hear your reasoning? He could say yes. He could say no. But he's already made his decision, so it doesn't really matter. But if you're one of those people that want to know why, you can ask why. and They could tell you, or they can tell you to fuck off, just institute my rules. So she has to tell me, hey, here are the new rules. Come up with a way to instill them. Or I work together with her, and we come up a new, with a new way to in, institute these new rules coming in at 6 a.m. We come up with a plan. Had a, and again, the plan could be tell them, let them deal with it. Or... We can explain it to them, the thinking behind it, and be like, well, we're here for you if you need us. If it's, you know, if this is going to fuck with something that you had planned already, like kids or some shit going on at home, we can work something out. Or we could just be assholes and be like, nope, 6 a.m. starting Monday. If you're not here by 6, you're in trouble and do it that way. And then they all hate you. You hate your boss for making putting you in that position. And it goes up and up and up. That's kind of how it works um, with orders and directives and stuff like that. It just it gets funneled down from the top and shit rolls downhill. So the people at the bottom just think it's for no reason. But there is usually a good reason behind doing something. The Air Force especially is good on doing things that make sense. Um, the Army gets made fun of a lot. and The Marines get made fun of a lot for doing things that don't make sense. But we try to make things as easy as possible and explain things really well before we do it. And we like to test run things first. Um, whether it be like we're going to do this new policy for like two weeks and we're going to get some feedback. And if it works, if the metrics, we rely on numbers. If the metrics make sense, then we're going to keep doing it. If it doesn't make sense or even if the numbers make sense, but everybody's miserable doing it. Like, yeah, if we work 20 hours a day, productivity is going to go up. However, morale is going to take a fucking shotgun to it and everyone's going to be miserable. So we're the Air Force is really good at balancing those or we try to balance them as best we can. But there's some things that just fucking suck. Like you're going to have to deal with it. And it's easier to learn how to take an L and move on than it is to fight things that you know aren't going to get won. So let's say we institute this 6 a.m. policy, right? And one kid's like, I'm not coming in until 7. And you're like, all right, well, we're going to have to have a talk. And they're like, no, I'm going to bring this up to the inspector general, the IG. And this isn't fair. They can go this entire route. And that means they have to go through several layers. They have to go through me, my boss, my boss's boss, his boss. They have to go through all these people 
who made this policy and signed off on it to get them to switch their minds, to change their minds. If nothing illegal is being done, if it's something that's illegal, like we can't work more than (coughs) we need at least eight, (coughs) excuse me. We need at least eight hours off in between shifts. That's like a air force wide policy. Some things can change like on the fly. If shit has to get, there's a fire. You're not going to be like, well, my eight hours are done. I'm going home. Like it happens, but for every 12 hours, you get eight hours off. That's just how it works. So, um, if nothing's illegal, nothing illegal is happening. If we're going on 12 hour shifts from now on, that's legal. They can do that. If someone wants to complain about it, that's fine, but they're not going to get anywhere. Now, if it's like, no, you're working 20 hours a day with no lunch break, none of this stuff, that's a real complaint. And then that's something that can get overturned. But my original point was when something changes and there's an order that comes down, it kind of makes me feel like the bad guy, but you have to tell the troops that are under you and tell the airmen that are under you that like they have to know that it's not you doing it. It's coming from above, but you also have to give off like you believe in it too, because if you don't believe in it, they're not going to believe in it. And it causes like tension between the ranks, I guess. So you have to kind of sell it to them. Like, all right, we're coming in at six, but you know, we can take a three hour lunch now and you know, we're going to do this and that we're going to get, we're going to leave early on Fridays or we're going to, you know, have a three-day weekend every other week, some shit like that. So there's ways around it. If you're a good office manager, (coughs) you can balance it out. So (coughs) I swear to God, I've been getting these coughing fits. I feel like there's like, I inhaled like sand or some shit. But anyway, all right, so that's going to wrap it up. I've been rambling on about Waco, office events, all this and and that. But um appreciate everyone that listens the numbers are headed in the right direction slowly but surely um let me know what you guys think about the movie slash tv review if you guys want me to watch something or hey like hey this is a stupid thing or you want something improved we can go from there but i'm always open to criticism that's how you get better in life so let me know how it goes and uh hopefully everyone has a good weekend it's supposed to rain up in the northeast where we are but Fuck it. Uh, let's go Heat. Let's go Lakers. Let's go Yankees, really. But on that note, we will hit the road. And get the fuck out of here. I need a fucking Tylenol and some more Gatorade Zeros. <laughs>